What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Hunt, Shoot, Live podcast. I'm Zach Sarver. With me is the Dwayne Sturgill. How are you today, Dwayne? Oh, I'm good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Pretty excited about today's episode. So today we are going to jump into custom AR builds. And for this topic, we actually have a special guest. So Dwayne, why don't you do a little introduction about our guest star? Absolutely. Yeah, we are privileged to have Uncle Dan from uh, Shooting with Uncle Dan YouTube channel. He has been kind enough to share some wisdom with us tonight in regard to the AR platform. Uh, I, Uncle Dan, I, he, he, had, he made a couple comments on some of my videos, and, and he started following their channel. And uh, you know, I got on his channel, started following him as a result of that, and just immediately uh, connected, you know, knew, knew we were, uh, you know, kindred spirits. He's, he's talking about guns and he's shooting animals and uh, playing guitars. And, and I was like, man, this, this dude is awesome. So, uh, you know, started watching his videos and stuff. And with the Hunt You Live YouTube channel, we do a lot of just shooting the guns and telling about the, the, just the aesthetics of them and how they feel and we do the long-range shooting and the hunting and stuff. But one thing that Uncle Dan does that really demonstrates a level of wisdom that, that I don't yet have is specifically about just building these crazy, awesome-looking AR platform weapons. And he has got uh, – you can check his channel out. He's got video after video of, of some awesome builds that he's done. And uh, uh, I told him there a minute ago is before we started – some of the pistols, some of the things that he's done to his block, man, just a Frankenstein, those things, some really, really cool stuff. So, uh, Uncle Dan, appreciate you for joining us tonight. Man, it is my pleasure to be here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I was, I was thinking, man, that surely he's not talking about me, wisdom and all that. I mean, you barely hear my name and wisdom in the same sentence, but I'm glad to be here. Excited. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let me give you a little opportunity to just talk a little bit about your your channel and and you can even back up and give us the history man you know you're a texan so you got a lot we're here in virginia you got a lot different going on than what we got you know how, how'd you get into hunting and and into the the shooting and and the whole youtube aspect and just fill us in on all that well i'll start off with uh with the youtube deal i was i'd been watching youtube probably since around 2012 and and I, you know, I was I, I was always interested to read the comments. So you know, back in the old days, you know, the Hickok 45s and the even the Nut and Fancy stuff. You know, they made these really long videos, but it was always fascinating to me to read the comments. And there was a lot of comments that I agreed with and didn't disagree with. And I'm like, man, how do I comment? And so my youngest son's like, well, you know, you have to start an account. And I did that. And initially, it was in my own name. And finally, I decided, well, you know, I'd like to make some content. And that, that's only been a couple of years ago uh, because, you know, they were kind of cracking down on the gun channels. A lot of them were being demonetized, losing their channels. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get in here and, you know, say what I've got to say. But that's really what got me started in, in YouTube. And it was just an experiment. And there was a couple of channels that were growing. Uh, at, at that time were, you know, 20 or 30,000, which I thought was big, Buffalo Outdoors and Coda Boy 32 that actually started watching my channel, uh, was commenting on my videos, and, and, and they give me shout-outs, and I went from basically, you know, 10 subscribers to 
three or four hundred overnight, and that that's really what got me started in that. As far as the hunting and the outdoor lifestyle, shooting, fishing, growing up in Texas, it's just part of the culture. My granddads were hunters. My dad was a hunter. My brothers hunted, and so I've been hunting literally. I don't remember not hunting and being outdoors, camping and fishing, trapping. So it's just something that, you know, was part of the lifestyle here. So as far as the, the AR platform, is that something you, you were always interested in or, you know, just the, the ability of building your own, you know, just what got you started on that? Well, actually, no, uh, I was, I'd begun to use the mini 14, uh, and I had a couple of them for hog hunting. Once our hog problem becomes so bad, that it was, it was encroaching on our livelihood growing up on a ranch and they're rooting stuff up. And, and so I, I began to use the mini 14. You know, I kind of come from that era. I graduated in 1983 and, you know, obviously missed Vietnam by 10 years. But it's one of those things growing up that, you know, you just kind of, you know, being a poor Texan, you just kind of went off to Vietnam on your senior trip, if you will. But, you know, there was a lot of guys coming back that I knew personally, and they, and they, they were like, man, these things suck. You know, I mean, you know, there was, you know, some issues, you know, in the humid environment. So I never really trusted the AR-15. And But what got me started in it, I was at a gun show in Conroe, Texas. So this has not been that long ago. I couldn't tell you the exact date. You know, I don't know, 2012, 2014, somewhere along there. And Diamondback, a company out of Florida, had come out with these little AR pistols. This is whatever time the AR pistol took hold. And they had an OD green one. And that, that thing just knocked my lights out, seven and a half inch barrel. And I bought it. And, you know, that was my first AR. I got it home. I shot it. I had no problem. It was loud as all get out. It had this hideous break on the end of it. And I'm like, man, I've got to do something because earplugs, double earplugs, the concussion right. from that thing was was nuts. You know what I'm talking about. And so my venture into building an AR was first to remove that muzzle device and put one of these uh, CAC flash cans, you know, kind of like the Novesky pig, but it's just empty, no baffles. Whenever I did that, I didn't have the tools or nothing. You know, I just held it best I could and and went to turn that muzzle device and the whole barrel spun. Actually twisted the... Uh, no knock on Diamondback, you know, everybody puts out a lemon, but it spun everything and twisted the gas tube. Somehow or another, it had been shooting, but the, the barrel was not seated in the notch on the upper part of it, and it, it turned. I don't know how come it didn't blow up because the head spacing, what exactly happened. So at that point, I had to rebuild it, and that's what got me started, you know. So, so I bought the, you know, the tools to clamp it down in the vise, and started by actually taking the barrel off of that, putting in a new gas tube. And then once I had the parts, I'm like, I can do this. You know, there's nothing to it. And that's, that's what got me started building right there. So, you know, it, I'm definitely relative. I'm not new to guns. And I'm definitely way into the, you know, bolt section platforms and, and upgrading those and, and the long range side of rifles. But with the AR platform stuff, you know, I've had an AR-15 for, for a few years. And I've changed the trigger out, but but that's really about it for the AR platform. And, and even in what you in what you just said there, you named all kinds of parts and stuff. And to me, it's so there's a lot in an AR-15. What for the for the person that is just getting into it, 
and they're they're thinking about building the AR platform. What are what are some of the things that you would tell them that would be the essentials that they need to know as a beginner, just just to get into building their AR? Well, the first thing they're going to need is they're going to need a vise and you know a table to mount it to. Uh, just a cheap vise from Harbor Freight is plenty good. And then you're going to need the uh, you know the gunsmithing toolkit, which you can buy them at Midway USA. I think that's where I got my first one that comes with your armors, wrenches, uh, the blocks to you know to clamp the upper receiver in. That uh, has a part you know that goes into magwell for building the the lower. You don't necessarily have to have that, but it comes with all the punches and the rubber hammer. So that's the first thing you're going to need to do, probably. Then there's, you know, there's just countless videos, which, you know, that everybody watched, uh, you know, that were being made back in the day uh, for people to uh, show step by step how to do it. And uh, so, you know, you probably literally could get the toolkit, you know, watch a few videos and, you know, you, you really just can't hardly mess it up. You know, if you have a friend that does it, there's a lot of guys that, that want to build their first AR that are friends or family here. You know, we'll come over and or I'll bring my tools over and we'll we'll build one. And then after that, you know, it's cool to see they'll begin to build them and, you know, or call and go, what do you think about this caliber and whatnot? So the toolkit and then the knowledge, which the knowledge is easy because there's plenty of people sharing it on YouTube. So you mentioned some of the tools. Um, as far as someone else trying to build, is there any kind of basics that someone should search for whenever they're getting ready to start that build? Well, you know, you, you need to determine what you want to build, uh, as, you know, as far as, you know, the, the look you're going for, the purpose that you're building. You know, pretty much for me, this guns that I build personally for myself are pretty much all based off of the stuff like the Honey Badger, you know, the original AAC, you know, which Q does now, same thing. But, you know, or the really sharp stuff, you know, the longest AR that I've built for myself personally is a 10.5 inch and uh now i built you know 18s and you know in 20s and 16s for friends but i like those small so it's just what you want to whatever you're wanting to go with and and uh you know and you know you like i say you can't mess it up i mean that's the only way you can mess up where you cannot salvage it would be something like stripping the barrel nut you know and and you know so you're going to need a tart wrench and uh you know that comes in the armor's kit and that kind of speaks a little bit to the next question that I was going to ask. Can can you mess it up? So I, let me recap a little bit and, and see if I'm on the right path. So if somebody's just going to get into it and let's say they, they're going to, they're going to build it a hundred percent. They're going to do the whole build. So right. they're going to need to get that. They're going to need to get a good vice that's going to hold the platform as they're building it. And then Correct. they're going to have to, they're going to have to get the lower, assembly the lower unit and then the kit that comes with that am i saying that right that's correct and then of course the upper is is to me some of maybe what I, I've, I've messed with the lower a little bit more than i have upper stuff what all is in that upper it depends on what which upper you're going with uh, on the most basic uh you know obviously there's going to be a charging handle and a bolt you know which will just drop in it there the, there's going to be a barrel a barrel nut, a gas block, and a gas tube. Uh, some uppers do not have forward assist, and in the in the original design, in fact, the Stoner did did not have a forward assist. 
his, uh, I guess, thinking was if, if the round does not want to go in there with the buffer weight and the spring pushing it, the last thing you want to do is force it into your chamber. And uh, so if you're doing a slick sided upper, that's it. You've got charging handle, you know, obviously the upper receiver, charging handle, the bolt carrier group, a barrel nut, a barrel, a gas block, and a gas tube, and, and you know, and whatever hand guard is going to go on your on your barrel nut and and that's that's it now if you're if you're doing a what most people would feature as a full-blown upper receiver there's a forward assist and a dust cover and even there's some receivers that have a dust cover and no forward assist so you know really and truly the upper receiver is the easiest part to build uh, probably the most difficult part for a beginner is actually putting the detent in on the takedown pins and so you know there's more parts and even you know the trigger assembly now it's easy to drop in a cartridge style trigger like a cmc or or some of the ones you know that basically you just get that trigger out and then all you do is you drop the whole unit in you put two pins in and boom you're off to the races but the lower receiver is actually a little bit trickier to put together than the upper receiver although for for some reason a lot of guys will buy and build their lower parts kit and then buy a complete upper and just pin it on there and call it a bill, which there, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can, you know, nowadays with PSA and Bear Creek, you know, you can buy a complete upper really cheaper than you can build one, but you may not actually have the components that you want that way. I think I know what you're talking about there, um, just fooling with some of the triggers on my ARs. Like I said, that's about the extent of things that I've changed on them as the triggers, but that the the factory trigger, we'll call it, you know, comes with right. it's got the spring and it's got a hammer that flips up and some of that stuff if you actually the first time I did I had to pull up a video of somebody doing it just to see how to put all those pieces back in there and see how all that fit together. But then uh right. kind of like you just said there, if you get that aftermarket trigger, it totally just like it just, you take all the other pins and springs and stuff out, and in that aftermarket that I bought anyway, I, I got a Timney, and it just right. dropped in, and then I put the pins in. So that was the aftermarket was simple. To me, the aftermarket was way more simple than fooling with all those individual parts and stuff that came with, with the factory trigger that was in it. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, because all that stuff is internally in the internal in the housing and you know the only the only difference being you know your springs well there's really two there's really two things keeping your pins from walking in a uh, in a, a, a mill spec trigger let's call it you know it may not necessarily be mill spec but it has the same parts you've got a little j hook that's in the center uh of the, the part that your pin goes through on your hammer and that that holds that pin from walking and lots of people will break that when they install it and so that that pin will walk but then your your hammer spring legs if you want to call them actually hold the lower part and stuff that's holding the sear and the actual trigger that spring is going down hitting two grooves so you know so it is definitely easier to put in the cartridge and, and cmc which is made here in texas i want to give them a plug uh, in my opinion they're three and a half pound flat face single stage trigger for the money is unbeatable now you know, there may be some that break a little bit cleaner but man it's it's a fantastic trigger and great for quick follow-up shots when you get in a, a large herd of hogs uh you just can't hardly beat it 
for the in regard to the mistake, you know, you mentioned, of course, over torquing the barrel nut is something probably right. that somebody needs to watch for. So that's going to be taken care of though in the in the torque wrench that they get to do that. So that's going to be necessary for them to have, right? That torque the torque wrench. Well, correct. Now I will say one thing since we're talking about barrel nuts and installing the barrel. I use Aeroshell grease, and the other people use different things. But one of the things that you got to worry about is, is is dissimilar metals tend to aluminum is bad about oxidizing. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had a a mag flashlight and you screwed the cap on there, and six months later you go to change the batteries, and you cannot, for the life of you, unscrew that cap. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. So. Yeah. What the aeroshell does is is it keeps it from corroding. So later on, if you decide you want to rebarrel, which you know you can eventually wear out a barrel. Most people never shoot enough, and you know running steel ammo through a barrel, you know obviously is going to cut the life down. Uh, but you'll always be able to get it off. It's like anti-seize, but it just does not have the powder in it. So so I will use that. I will generally run that barrel nut down by hand all the way with no barrel in it, just as much as I can by hand, uh, no, with no grease, all the way in till it goes, and then I'll back it off, and I may screw it in a time or two, and that'll just kind of uh, cut the, uh, the anodizing off the threads. And then at that point, then I will, you know, install the barrel, uh, slide the barrel in. You know, there's a notch in the top, which orients your barrel so you're, feed ramps on your barrel extension come out on the bottom and then I will, you know, wipe the threads down with air shell grease and then I will at that point screw the barrel nut on there. And I'm one of them guys that tends to probably tighten things a little bit too much. But uh you know the the specs are all over the place depending on the barrel nut and the manufacturer. But you know, general rule is about thirty five foot pounds is about the minimum. And uh you know, I have a tendency to go hit around 45 because I don't want it coming loose, but I've never had one back loose. So, you know, you could you could cross-thread possibly. You know, you could uh, over-tighten and ruin your threads. At that point, your, your upper receiver will then be trash and possibly even the barrel nut. Uh, so, so that's that. Now, as far as failures that you're going to get that is caused by messing up on the upper receiver, Gas block alignment is next. You know, you've got you've got carbine length, pistol length, mid length, rifle length. Everything I build pretty much is going to be pistol, carbine, or mid. The bulk of it being pistol length and and uh, carbine length. A lot of manufacturers will actually dimple the barrel for you. So all you've got to do is, you know, take the screw out, look in that hole, get it lined up and then carefully screw that down and it will kind of work as a locator for you to get you over it. You know, you can be off some because the hole in the barrel is way smaller than the port in the gas block, but you know, you want to get that on right. And, and you know, that kind of leads me to the next step that I do on, on installing the barrel in a gas block. Once I get that together, I usually want to put the, uh, hand guard on it because I just don't even want it in the way. I've got that snug down. I do not use Loctite. People are going to think I'm crazy. But what I do is I will take that gun and pin it to a lower, and I'm going to go out 
and I'm going to shoot it. I'm not, no sights on it, no nothing. I'm just looking for an ejection pattern, and I want it to be ejecting that round to about, you know, if like the barrel's pointed, that's 12 o'clock, the direction you're shooting. I want that thing to be somewhere south of 3 o'clock, preferably in there around 4.30 or 5, unless I'm building it for a left-handed shooter. Uh, then, you know, that can kind of get in their grill, you know. So, but, you know, I like it back, uh, you know, and, and if that's all good at that point, what I will do, and it's part of a, partly a style thing, you, if you notice, most of my guns are black or green on the outside and then the barrels are tan. And at that point, I will take and I will use carb choke cleaner. I will tape off the barrel nut usually put like a red sack over the receiver. I will hang it up. I will use carburetor choke cleaner, degrease the barrel, gas block and all, you know, the stainless steel tube. And at that point, I will just paint it with cheap Rust-Oleum, you know, tan camo paint or whatever you want. Once that happens, uh, and I get, you know, four or five coats on it, down into the screws, behind the barrel nut, filling in all the gaps and the cracks there, several coats, let that dry. Once that dries, in order to get that gas block off of there, you're going to have to really be determined. Uh, even if you took the screws out, once the paint cures, you know, it would be hard to do. Uh, because. But, you know, you're going to have to use some kind of thinner or something because, I mean, it'll really lock it in. But it seals it up. It looks nice. And uh, it's kind of a cheap way to lock it all in and give your gun a little bit different look all at the same time. So, you know, that pretty well, you know, covers the upper, you know, and, and you know, like I say, so really you want to tark that barrel right, so you want to use aeroshell, and you want to get that gas block aligned, and if you want to paint it or if you want to red Loctite it, uh, that's up to you, but I, I prefer the paint. So in, in regard to aligning the gas block, how do you, if you see that it's, so that's what you're talking about, if it's ejecting in a direction that you don't, want it to you know i understand what you're saying by you know but if it's ejecting for a right hand shooter at about the four o'clock range it's going to be kicking it back you know to your right and backwards right well, mm -hmm. let's say it's kicking it let's say it's kicking it to one o'clock um you know is, mm -hmm. that a, is that a tough thing to make that adjustment with that gas block how, how do you do that no you and i do not use adjustable gas blocks okay but and, and because because I'm always afraid that it, you know, with vibration, it can come out of adjustment at the, at the least time. The way I tune it is by tuning it with, with, with either the spring or the buffer weight. You know, your, your basic, your ba which is in your, you know, your stock extension. And, and your basic buffer tube is your carbine weight buffer that weighs like three ounces. And they'll vary a little bit, but. Then they step up H1, H2, H3 on up to pistol buffer weights that get progressively heavier. So if you're if you have a traditional brass deflector, which is what what is called right behind you know the ejection port, if you're if you're ejecting at one o'clock, you're severely overgassed. Now, unless you have an adjustable gas block, there's nothing you can do about that. What you have to do is actually add tension and weight behind the bolt, which would be just you know, you could do something as crazy as drop some quarters down in the tube, you know, to shim the spring and make it tighter. I tend to not want to do that. I I just always go with a standard carbine spring, and then I will just start stepping up my 
my uh, my buffer weights, you know. But but typically, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the barrel manufacturers that I do, and I know what to expect, and and generally already have the buffer on hand or theory that I'm going to be very close. But most of my guns are running either on a uh, on a carbine buffer weight, which is three ounces, and or the H2, which would be the uh, second step up from that in weight, and uh, that's typically going to be your short guns that have a, uh, uh, you know, like a seven and a half inch that have a shorter dwell time, meaning the time of the, the bolt unlocks quicker because it has to do it before the barrel loses pressure. So uh, you just re- really, you're tuning that, you know, if you're, if you're bouncing at one o'clock, you know, you're hitting their, your brass deflector so hard it is rebounding the round forward. Uh, and if it's at 3 o'clock, that's where most military law enforcement guys want it uh, because if they have to go to the left shoulder to peek around cover, and also when it gets dirty, your gun's running hard enough that it's going to keep on chugging, even if, it, even if you get a little dirty or it needs cleaning. So about 3 o'clock is a good place uh, to start. However, you get more recoil, your sight, your 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 time between you know your target settling back on your target is going to be a little bit longer. So you know I try to get in that four thirty five o'clock range, and I simply do that just by changing the buffer weights. That that totally makes sense, uh, and that's all new to me. But but I, I'm seeing what you're saying. So you correct me if I'm wrong in saying this. You know, if somebody's doing their research and just looking up and making sure they're buying. Like if they're going to build a pistol caliber uh, AR, mm-hmm. then, they're, then mm-hmm. each of those components that they're going to buy is going to be tagged, I'm sure, you know, for like like the buffer tube is going to say, you know, for pistol, uh, or, or it'll specify what it's for. And it for, mm-hmm. sounds like what you're saying is unless you're really, if you're trying to just Frankenstein together a bunch of free stuff you got from people, uh, that, that might be when you would run into issues. But, but just as long as you're buying the consistent stuff, uh, you know, if it's all marked for pistol or, or whatever, then then you're going to be okay, pretty much, right? Well, that's right. And, and, you know, most people, when they buy a lower parts kit, it's going to come with a standard carbine spring and a carbine buffer. And and that, and that it's going to work, okay, uh, with that. I mean, just about any gun is going to run with that. Uh, but, you know, so ultimately – you know, if, if if you get one and sh- and you build your first, let's say you build your first one, because that's kind of what we're gearing our conversation at. You you get your first lower put together, you get your upper pin to it, and you get out there and it kicks like a mule, which it's not going to kick if it's five five six, regardless. Even if it's you know, uh, you know, if it's hitting you in your support hand going forward, uh, but if it's going you know forward, well, you're going to. Uh, the worst you're going to do is just step up a couple of buffer weights. Uh, as far as like the AR9s, when uh, I first got interested in that, uh, you know, people were really having problems. People were doing all kind of things because the heavy buffer weights didn't exist, nothing beyond uh, H3 or something like that. And, uh, you know, but, but you know, largely – here again, and, and this is something we talked about kind of pre-chat, you know, the home builder guys, you know, got in there, experimented by making quarters and put foam in the buffer tube, doing all kind of things to get these guns running right. So 
Um, actually, my AR9 is actually only using an H2 buffer, uh, which would be two down from a pistol caliber buffer. But but it also I have a law tactical folder which that has a weight added weight or it's really just an extension that allows it to work that goes in the uh, goes in the bolt carrier. Uh, so. But yeah, it, I mean, you can't go wrong if you just get the basic kit, put her together. If she's not tuned up right, you can fix it all simply by changing your buffer weight. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the adjustable gas blocks. I just want everything locked down solid, and know that if the gun is not running, it's because you know I've either got some bad ammo or, or you know I need to clean it real bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm following you 100 percent. So the the smaller the smaller the caliber the heavier weight that you need on your on your buffer tube spring. Well, the, the, on the on the AR nines and the forty fives and forty Smith and Wessons and things like that, typically you know they're going to either be you know most of them nowadays are fed by Glock mags. There is no locking bolt and there is no gas system. It is simply the weight of the, your bolt carrier. Or truly, it's more of a bolt, and you know, there's no rotating bolt in the in the in a in a pistol caliber, with the exception of CMMG, the Banshee series. But so it's just weight that's keeping it shut. You know, kind of like hey, like a high point pistol, you know, or even the high point carbine. A lot of the lot of like the Mac nines, your machine guns and stuff. You know, it's just the weight of the bolt, so they're heavy, even though they're small just the weight of the bolt on them. So it's a different system. No gas tube, straight blowback, very reliable if you get your weight right. And it's also handy for guys that say, hey, a nine millimeter is a toy or whatever. Well, that's fine and dandy. But if you like to shoot steel targets with a similar platform, really about your only option up close, I'm talking close quarter stuff, uh, you know, you you need you know the nine millimeter is great because you can ring steel you know at seven yards without you know destroying your targets. Gotcha. I'm tracking. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to build me a an AR nine. I did not have one. So if I if I my first build would probably will be the the AR nine. I, I love the nine millimeter. Oh, I do too. It's cheap to shoot, and it's actually a lot more effective than people give it credit for. And I I'll get my first AR nine. I actually built the uh, I built the upper receiver using uh, an Anderson slick side upper. You don't need a forward assist. In my opinion, you don't need one anyway. But I used that, and then uh, actually I have somewhat of a sponsorship uh, by Stinger USA, which is a, a Texas company that builds AR rails, and I think they're they're the finest or some of the finest on the market. It, there's nothing better that, that I've used, and I've used a bunch of stuff, Midwest, you name it, Yankee Hill Machine. I've, I've used Troy. I've used just about anything. But So I built that using a ballistic advantage barrel, and I went over to my buddies, Michael, at American Resistance Gear, also known as Black Rifle uh, Company, but mainly by American Resistance, Resistance Gear, and they're on YouTube and Instagram, a big presence on Instagram. And uh, went over there, and, and then we built the lower together. But his lower receiver uh, has absolutely the best last round bolt hold open in the AR9 game. And you know, of course, he's got them. You know, for 45, the large frame Glock stuff. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's a better last round bolt hold open than a uh, you know than actually is in the AR15. 
So, you know, you, you would probably want to get uh, his lower if, if last round bolt hold open is, is something you want, which I enjoy that because it's the same as the other stuff. And, uh, but, uh, and I use his bolt, but, uh, but they're, they're a fantastic company, uh, some good guys. He's a, he's a Marine veteran and just, you know, just a good old Texas. I, I hate to say the word redneck and I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's just good old country <laughs> folks, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Hey man, we're from Southwest Virginia, dude. We're 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 good old rednecks here too, man. I I claim that with pride. Yeah, y'all yeah. send me some moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> we might can work that out, man. Maybe. Uh, you have you have to edit that out, maybe Zach. I don't know. I don't know if that's what you say that on. <laughs> but yeah, well, no, as, long, I, as long as you don't charge for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's right. That's true. Well, I, getting some good notes from me here from from my nine uh, millimeter build, so that's super awesome. Just to just to finish up my question for the the malfunction piece, you did mention going way back when we were talking about the lower part of the build. You said it would be possible maybe for somebody to break some of those. Was it the pins or something that you commented yeah. on that might be? Yeah, the easiest thing to do now, you know, you could, you could, with, with, without, oh, let me add one thing to the toolkit. If the toolkit you get does not have roll pin punches, uh, go buy some. You know, you probably can pick them up at Harbor Freight, but you know, they're the little pins that look like a pipe, but there's a split down the side, and you need the roll pin, the right size for whatever roll pin you're putting in. There's a couple of different sizes, you know, and they are, but when you buy the kit, it comes with it. You know, you could drive a roll pin in and mess some, something up, possibly. But but the biggest thing on the lower receiver is the J-hook, which is inside the hammer. You know, the hammer basically, for all purposes, looks like a hammer like you drive a nail with. And, uh, and in the center of that is a little thing called the J-hook. So when you're driving your pin in, that little J-hook is hanging down in the center of that pin it holds that hammer in there is a ring all the way around it once it pops past that j hook that pops into that groove and that keeps that pin from sliding if you break that j hook what's going to happen is when you're firing your pin can walk and when that happens it can go full auto on you and and you know everybody's like well that's fun when you're not expecting it that is not fun at all and you know and it can you know just start off a chain fire and fire out a battery and especially with ar9 you know because the uh, ar15 uh in your rifle calibers intermediate cartridge calibers the firing pin cannot reach the round until it is compressed and turned into the locking lugs. But a nine millimeter, uh, if you get hammer follow, if it's following the bolt home, anything that stops that round, like, you know, maybe it, you know, hits the edge of the chamber, that hammer can ride that pin right into the back of it. And it can cause a out of battery detonation, which, uh, at, you know, at a minimum is going to possibly, you know, break your mag catch and destroy your magazine and it could be a lot more catastrophic so if you do break the j-hook never fear you don't have to get a new new trigger you can just get a anti-walk pin you know which some of them have you know two little deals that connect from one pin to the other the ones i use just have like you know two little allen head screws that once you slide the pin in there it's threaded on the end screw those down from both sides and then it can't walk 
And I prefer them because it's just one less thing to go wrong. So I'm real new to the AR game. I haven't picked one up yet myself, but just reading around on the internet, reading about the gas system. So could you give us a little information, what your thoughts are about just gas piston versus direct impingement? You know, what do you think about it? Which one do you prefer? Right. Uh, I, I tell you what, you know, if you'd asked me this before I got in the, in the AR game, if you will, I would have told you that I was looking at the gas pistons because they had begun to come out. And, and one of the negatives, though, that it was, was it was what they call carrier tilt because it, it, it kind of tends to push the, the bolt carrier group back at an angle and then it would kind of give friction inside the extension, you know, which is going into your stock. But, you know, because I grew up shooting stuff like, you know, M1 carbines, Mini 14s, uh, and even occasionally the Garand or the what we call the M14, and I, I think that's not the true name for it. But, you know, it's like a giant, you know, Mini 14. Uh, you know, and those are all piston guns, and they were very reliable and robust and weighed a ton. Uh, but, you know, now uh, I strictly do DI direct impingement guns, which is just the gas tube blowing back into the gas key and it's using that gas to shoot, you know, the bolt rearward, unlock it, make it, you know, come back and pick up the next round. So I really am not a piston guy. Uh, I've run, you know, when I first got the, the, uh, the little, the little diamond back, even though there was some assembly problems that somehow or another, got out of the factory, not knocking them because it didn't destroy anything and, and the gun worked, but I know the headspace and it had to be wrong. Uh, you know, I was going to see, you know, how long will it go without a malfunction? And I was using P mags, you know, which is pretty much the standard, you know, the plastic mags, you know, you can buy at Academy. And I shot that thing. I don't know, probably 600 rounds without even cleaning it. I didn't even clean it when I bought it, whatever was in it was in it. And I just like, I want to see how reliable it was. And I never had a problem. And that made me believe with just reasonable maintenance, a direct impingement gun is reliable as anything on the planet, uh, other than like maybe a bolt action or a lever action or a pump, you know, with just reasonable maintenance. I mean, and I, I'm a minimalist when it comes to cleaning. I'm more about making them dirty than I'm getting them clean. You know, that gun is going to run for you. And, I, you know, I really, honestly, I really probably only had a couple of malfunctions ever in every platform I've had. I had some cartridges get stuck that were steel, <laughs> and uh, I've had uh, I've had some rounds uh, get locked up in the magazine and the bolt overrid them, over bolt override. But other than that, I mean, it's reliable as anything. I, I would bet you if you shot 500 rounds out of your Remington 700 uh, deer rifle and you shot 500 rounds, you probably are going to short stroke the bolt or do something that's going to cause a malfunction. But if you put together an AR-15 right, or even an AR-9 for that matter, right, you know, it's very reasonable to think that if, if you've got it, you know, running right, this time right, your tune right, uh, that you're going to be able to go out there and run five, 600 rounds without doing anything to it, without a problem. So they're very reliable. But I would have never thought that going in, you know, because I was swayed by the, 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 not only, you know, 
firsthand and secondhand accounts of people in Vietnam and then, you know, the urban myth that, you know, that it was a piece of junk. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those guys that told this stuff were guys that had went in there and they had actually had the wrong powder that the military used in the, in the gun. So I, I was of the impression that you needed a piston gun, but I, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more wrong. Not knocking them. I'm just saying for me, you know, I don't, I don't do pistons. Is there any difference in, in accuracy or anything? I saw some people saying that the, the DI was a little bit more accurate or have you seen anything like that? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's more accurate because you don't have anything sliding, uh, you know, on top of the barrel. The only thing that's really moving, you know, is gas through that tube and then the bolt to the rear where, you know, you've got a plunger system that is working on it. That being said, you know, you know, they can be accurate and even an AK can be accurate direct impingement gun i do believe it's uh has a slight advantage over the uh over the piston you know if you've got a decent barrel decent ammo uh a di gun is going to shoot around one moa uh pretty much no problem so that's basically one inch group at 100 yard uh i'm curious you were talking about the the ak you said even an ak can be accurate tell me tell me a little okay. bit about that well you know, I actually am I'm not an AK guy. Uh, I've shot a few of them. I don't really particularly care for the ergos. But, you know, if you get, you know, probably the thing where they're going, you know, AKs are not accurate, you know, their sights are akin to, uh, you know, a Daisy Red Rider, basically. But, you know, as I get older, it's it's hard for me to use, you know, what you just consider, what I consider standard iron sights, which is a, you know, more or less a notch halfway down the barrel and then a post up in the front but you know the ak you know is a is a piston system uh and you know i see guys nowadays that are that are you know claiming you know to getting under two inch and you know, even better you know have an ak so you know as technology is coming along and more people are getting the experience with with it you know the you know not only is the reliability uh, of all these systems getting better but uh you know the accuracy is is, is another part of it so we've mentioned the AR9, mentioned the AR15. I know there's an AR10. Uh, mm-hmm. talk, talk just a little bit about the differences in those, and maybe more so the AR10 because we've not really mentioned that at all. Yeah, the AR10 is, you know, basically the AR15 is based off of the Remington 223 or the military designation 556 in general, and you know the AR10 is based off of the 308 cartridge, you know, which would be stuff like 6.5 Creedmoor, 243, you know, with 308 being the predominant one. It's really the big brother. And and in reality, it was actually the first Eugene Stoner gun was in the 308, or was an AR-10. And I'm not sure exactly what his designation was for it, but it was the first gun. And the, uh, as I understand it, uh, you know, the Army didn't adopt it. You know, they were still with the M14, but the Air Force decided they liked that space age look. And this was like, I think in 1959 or somewhere, you know, my dates may not be uh, exact. I'm not suffering from memory loss. I'm actually enjoying it, but they, uh, they wanted it in a smaller caliber. And so the, you know, the, the, you know, the, they put it in the two, two, three, you know, Remington, which was already a, a hunting round or a varmint round. And, uh, but so the AR-10 is just a bigger platform. I, I really have not, delve into the AR-10s. I've had a couple of people say they wanted me to build them one. And obviously, if you can build one, you can build the other. It's just, it's just bigger. 
Um, but if somebody wants a something that's going to compete, uh, say with the AR-10, but still be in the AR-15 package, I recommend the uh, 6.5 Grendel. Now the Creedmoor 6.5 Creedmoor is based off the 308 cartridge, but the Grendel is based off of the 7.62 by 39, you know, AK round uh, or SKS, however you want to look at it. Uh, that's just neck down to 6.5 millimeter, and it's a very flat shooting gun. Uh, you know, if you got some good glass on it, and you you've got a good good shooting position, you know it's accurate out to you know 800 yards easy. And and we tend to you know not shoot that far in Texas. You'd be lucky to see 800 yards. Uh, you know, not an expert in the AR-10, and actually not an expert in anything. But uh, I just know what I've done and know what's worked for me. But I really like the uh, if you want an AR-15, it's lightweight, but yet has some serious capability. The 6.5 Grendel, if you like long-range stuff, it's fantastic. You know, it's a flat shooter. It main, it's got a very good coefficient to the bullet, uh, holds its velocity good, uh, doesn't suffer from much wind drift, and, uh, you know, it, it's very adequate for, you know, for whitetail, you know, and mule deer, you know, hogs. I mean, it's a great round. Well, we, we may have sort of touched on, on this, but just you personally, Dan, what's your what's your absolute favorite caliber? If you... If if you only had one, and you could only build, you know, God comes down and he's like, you can only build one more AR. Uh, and this is the one that you can keep. Well, what's it going to be? Yeah. Oh, that's a no-brainer. Uh, 7.62 by 39, the AK round, uh, for a bunch of reasons. Number one being is I'm a Texan and I'm cheap. Uh, and we, we go through a lot of rounds uh, hog hunting here. It's a hard-hitting round. You know, basically, it is your grandpa's 30-30 uh, in a, you know, in a in a in a magazine-fed semi-auto that that is very, you know, I mean, it, you know, typically you're 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 getting about two MOA, you know, using Russian steel ammo, but it's almost as cheap to shoot as nine millimeter uh, and very effective. I guess I got into the 7.62 by 39 in the AR because, like I said, I'm really not an AK fan. I don't like the ergos and they're heavy. I'm all about lightweight, sharp, fast handling. Uh, but really, my buddy Michael over to American Resistance Gear, who I was telling you about with AR9, I'm like, man, I'm going to build, you know, 7.62 by 39. He goes, man, you won't have no luck. And so it was kind of like, in my mind, I'm thinking, don't tell me I can't do something. I actually had another guy in the gun business uh say tell me the same thing and i'm like we'll see about that and it turns out you know that really the problem with the 7.62 by 39 round in the ar-15 there's actually two of them one the number one issue that was a problem was the magazine it's largely american manufactured ammo is basically parallel. I mean, the walls, it doesn't taper much. And I'm not talking about the shoulder where it next down to the bullet. I'm talking that, you know, the, on the fat part, the wide part of it, it is near parallel on a two two three five five six. where the AK round has a gigantic taper to it. If you were to lay it down on a flat table and roll it, it's just going to roll in a circle, if that makes sense. So that that is really why the AK and SKS are so reliable. You think about it, that round is basically shaped like a traffic cone. So once you fire it, if your bolt begins to come rearward, if it just moves a fraction, there is no resistance, no 
having to slide out. There is no case getting stuck. And also for feeding, you know, it's just, it's easier to stick something pointed, you know, in a hole than it is something that's, uh, you know, like a mop panel. So, but, but, but because of the shape of the round, uh, the AR having basically, you know, a 10 round magazine fits flush where the AK round it goes in magazines. It's what they call full circle. They begin to go out and be shaped like a banana from the get go. So to get around that, you know, the first nine rounds or so have to be in a straight part of the magazine. And there really wouldn't a man magazine manufacturer that had the know-how or the technology or cared to make a magazine that would run the round reliable. But C products uh, actually solved that problem, and I don't know what kind of voodoo they got because if you look at their mags, it basically looks like the other 7.62 by 39 AR-15 mags, but they are very dependable. To talk about how dependable they are, uh, uh, Maxim Defense developed a 5.5-inch 7.62 by 39 for special operations units where they wanted to be able to go to a country, have a really lightweight platform, and basically be in, uh, ejecting uh, indigenous brass, if you will. You know, you don't want to, you see a bunch of five, five, six ammo piled up on a beach somewhere, and you figure that, you know, the Navy SEALs were there, but if it's 7.62 by 39, you know, you don't think anything about it, and they chose the C products mags for that machine gun. So that was one problem with the round. The other problem was the head of the cartridge is larger in diameter than uh, the, Five five six. So basically, you know, the bolt head on a five five on the AR fifteen looks like a sprocket. It's got a bunch of lugs that reach and twist in there, and that's what locks the bolt. So they couldn't make that bigger because of the size of the platform. So the hole that is machined out in the seven point six two by thirty nine, your pedals, if you will, your little cogs are thinner. So they're more prone to break, and and that can happen. Um, you know, I, I've never broke one yet, and I've shot, uh, you know, on one bolt, I I, I know I've shot 4,000 rounds, and I've not had an issue, but I always carry a spare bolt, you know, and, uh, you know, that's the neat thing about a Magpul grip. You can, you know, stick a CR-2032 or whatever it is. I'm, I'm drawing a blank for the red dot and a bolt and i'm not talking about the whole group just the bolt you know in there so if it does break well hey you know in five minutes you know you're back up and running so those were the, the issues but that's my favorite round uh and i'll give an honorable mention my number two is the nine millimeter they are nine so in many things the more money you dump into something there's there's more benefits so what's the benefit of spending some more money on an ar and, and does that same thing translate whenever you're actually trying to build one of those yourself Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about factory built rifles or AR pistols. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to talk about uh, components, barrels and, and bolts and whatnot. You know, honestly, and I, and I don't want to knock because there's some great companies out there, you know, like Q, you know, which was the original, you know, honey badger and, and, and whatnot that, you know, that have kind of shaped what we view as the modern AR, SBR, AR pistol. And they're pricey. You know, you can go on the cheap end of the spectrum if we're just talking about factory-built rifles, and you can buy a Bear Creek or BCA, as people call them, or Palmetto State Armory, PSA. You know, and their guns, you know, you can get them for, you know, four to 500 bucks. And then 
on the top end, looking at something like a Q, you know, you're $2,000 or, or CMMG, you know, some of Daniel Defense, a lot of them fall in that between $1,000, $1,500 range. Honestly, there's nothing wrong with buying that, and that gun is probably going to be bomb-proof, but I don't think it's a buy-once, cry-once deal. You know, I mean, I could say, well, you know, I bought a cheap AR the first time out, and, uh, you know, I had problems with it, which ultimately led me to be an AR builder, uh, which was a good thing, you know, in, in hindsight being 2020. So if there's something goes wrong with it, there's nothing on it that can't be replaced. And, you know, when it initially started, there was only a handful of companies that were really building components for AR-15s. Uh, you'd be surprised that that's kind of the way the industry is all across the board, unless you're talking about somebody like Glock or whatever, but, you know, like your custom 1911 companies. My son was a gunsmith, my oldest son for STI in Georgetown, Texas, you know, and a lot of their stuff is farmed out. You know, they get parts from other people. So really and truly, uh, you know, you could literally have the same internals, maybe not quite as nice a finish with, with the cheaper gun, is the more expensive. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if you get a Bear Creek Arsenal, uh, that it's going to have the same stuff in it as, uh, you know, a Daniel Defense. But I'm saying that it's pretty workable. So it's just up to the customer. Uh, now, if we want to talk about components, I have some of my favorite. Uh, and then I also have the stuff that I tend to build for me that's really budget. And I use almost exclusively other than the AR9. Uh, I use Anderson lowers. They're cheap. Uh, the ever receiver that I've ever locked them up to, there's virtually no rattle. Uh, and you can buy one of those complete, or at least before this craze hit for, you know, around $140. I mean, with the parts kit in it. And I typically will use them. Uh, I have used... Uh, uh, upper receivers, Anderson. I've I've used the most expensive gun I built is with uh, Midwest Industries rail, Faxon pencil barrel, and uh, and a, and a Midwest upper receiver. But as far as the performance of it, now I will say Faxon is my favorite barrel. If I'm going to build something for me and I want it to be light, they make this pencil barrel that weighs nothing. It's a very accurate barrel, but you know, you can build a reliable AR by using Bear Creek or PSA parts. Uh, but, you know, my favorite barrel makers are Faxon and Ballistic Advantage. Uh, but currently my favorite gun uh, ever component in it, basically, uh, as far as we're talking the upper receiver, is, is Bear Creek. And that's a seven and a half inch, 7.62 by 39. And, uh, you know, it just keeps on running it. Uh, I can run subsonics with the with the suppressor, uh, supersonics with the suppressor. I can run subsonics without the suppressor. You know, I mean, it just does everything I want it to do. There's no recall, and and y'all you know, love it. And it's, you know, if you were to, you know, sit down and throw all the parts on the table and count them up, you know, it probably didn't cost me $400 to build. Wow, nice. But 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 I will say, you know, uh, there's some great components out there, uh, great barrel companies, fell zero bolts, man. If, if you want to, if you're running AR 15 and five, five, six or 300 blackout, you know, or something that uses that, uh, that, that bolt, 
those the fell zero bolts with the nickel boron they were the first one that i was aware of but i mean you can run that thing a thousand rounds and literally just pull it out and wipe it off with a rag and it'll just come like shining like new money it's very slick you know the lubricity that's a big word for a texan but it, it's just you know you can just about run it dry without any problems so there's some good parts out there but if you you know if you know what you're doing you can you can build it with with cheap stuff and get get great performance or at least that's been my experience you mentioned the 300 blackout there and and that kind of brings me into my next question i'm going to sort of modify i had a, a ar i was just going to ask you in general about the ar pistols we've, we've covered that pretty good but when you mentioned mm-hmm. blackout it, it made me think about i know like the springfield saint pistol they just released one like a seven or eight inch barrel in a 308 caliber what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, you can talk, talk a little bit about the blackout too, I guess, since you mentioned it. But what are your thoughts about that 308 coming out of such a short barrel? <laughs> I think that uh, I think it's just I would I wouldn't shoot it without double ear pro, and and you know, and you're not hardly going to find any any can manufacturer that is going to warranty their can of uh, shooting that short of 308 there's just going to be it's literally going to be a flamethrower and you're probably my guess is and i don't know this for a fact but you're probably only going to be getting if you're lucky uh a 300 blackout velocity now i've got a buddy that that hunts with me uh he's actually on the nfa trust with me or i'm actually on his but he has a 13 inch scar heavy which is you know similar to the ar it's a piston driven system you know, he is actually SBR, and that thing is fantastic. But it's like a 13.5 inch barrel, uh, and he's got a uh, you know a suppressor on it. Now that being said, it's still loud. Uh, uh, you know, is it hearing safe? Uh, maybe if you're behind it, and depends on how many rounds. But uh, it certainly takes the bite off of it. But I wouldn't. Uh, no, I wouldn't recommend. Uh, Honestly, you know, anything under, you know, somewhere in the 13 or 14 inch range for a 308, even if it's a bolt gun, I mean, why would you go with such a powerful caliber and then just completely, you know, neuter it down to where it's not even as good as Grandpappy's 30-30? Or, you know, it might be, but but I would like to talk about the 300 blackout a little bit. And and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about with, uh, when I didn't mention his name, but Kevin Brittingham, you know, the, the uh, godfather of the honey badger and, uh, you know, AAC that actually took the 300 whisper wildcat cartridge and made it a Sammy spec cartridge, you know, in the 300 AAC or 300 blackout, as we commonly call it today. And they started that whole deal with, uh, you know, trying to do it for special ops to give them something, a hard hitter, a 30 caliber gun. And, uh, you know, they had all the issues that I talked about with the bringing the 7.62 by 39 into the AR platform. Cause then, you know, the C products mags didn't exist and they were trying to use straight mags and it just wouldn't work. So they, he developed a 300 blackout, which basically is just a barrel swap from a 5.56 and, uh, you know, largely is loaded with pistol type powder that, you know, burns very efficiently their, the powder in the sharp barrel. And, and I even did a test way back when I first started YouTube where I shot 16 inch, a 10 and a half inch with all the rounds from like the 110s to the middle 150 grain on up to the 220 grain. 
10 shots of each in each length and did a comparison of the velocities. And, uh, you know, the, the, the my, my first full-on build upper receiver where I built it from scratch was a 10-and-a-half-inch uh, 300 blackout with a ballistic advantage barrel, a UTG 4N, which was a really cheap 4N then. A lot of people say it's for airsofters. I like them. And, uh, and an Anderson upper, you know, it had the charging handle and, and uh, the, I mean, the uh, forward assist and the dust cover and all that. And that's what I hunted with. But, you know, that round typically, I was buying Remington 110 grain hollow points, uh, you know, like at Academy. And it was like $14 for 20. So that's kind of pricey when you're looking at 7.62 by 39 being like $5 for 20. So a third of the price. And basically the rounds are almost identical. Once you get around the geometry issues you can have in the magazine, which C products, like I say, have solved it, you know, basically they'll do the same thing. Although your your bolt life uh, on the bolt itself is probably going to be significantly shorter than it would be with the standard AR-15 bolt head. So, so that's kind of that's kind of what you know. To me, the 7.62 by 39 has become the poor man's honey badger, if you will. You know, the poor man's 300 blackout. And I believe had C Products mags existed at that point, there's a good chance that you know Kevin Brittingham would probably tell tell y'all I'm a fool, but I'm, there's a good chance that that honey badger would have been in 7.62 by 39. Uh, you know, and in fact, we're seeing with Maxim today building something very similar that is in 7.62 by 39 for special ops. I'm not saying they're using it, but that's what it was built for. So that's kind of, you know, I don't know, I chase rabbits, but that's kind of covering the 300 blackout is a fantastic round. Fantastic. It's a great hunting round. Like I say, it's ballistically, uh, it's a 30-30. You know, basically you can have a 10-inch barreled semi-automatic 30-30, you know, that'll kill, you know, anything up to, you know, a you know black bear or an elk if you wanted to. Uh, in a really sharp package, so I, I'm, I'm a fan of the round. But I'm, I'm I, and I still have one, but I do almost all of my hunting wild hogs uh, with 7.62 by 39, and it's an economic decision. But but I, I've grown to love the round and trust it. But you, what you've just done is made it tough on me because you reminded me, and you know, I said I might build an, an AR9, and then that you, you reminded me that I like the 300 blackout round, and now you've got me. I'm going to have to consider that 7.62 by 39. So we just created all kinds of problems for me. And I, I guess the well, answer is I'm just going to have to build all three. Somebody was going to build their first AR, you know, or maybe it was going to be even by their first AR. Because we live in America and and our round that our, by and large, that our military, our police force, you know, the FBI, you know, you name it, you know, anything government, whether it's local or state or federal, you know, that is their round is a five five six. And you can shoot a five five six cheap, you know, with the you know, the sixty two grain green tips or the fifty five, or you can even get some some hollow points, you know, or soft points, you know, cheap like the like the Hornaday Frontier soft point or spire point they call it. It's a pretty good round. But I would recommend anybody the first one they get is that, just so you have that compatibility in case you had to scrounge for ammo, especially in the times like it is now. God knows, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, your lower is good for any of it, but uh, that would be the first thing I would recommend, whether you're buying or building, 
Now, I'm not impressed with the 5.56 caliber. It is a fantastic prairie dogs or uh, what we call prairie poodles or coyotes. Uh, I'm not saying it won't kill because I've killed a lots of hogs with, with 5.56 and, you know, the commercially 2.23, and I've even killed deer with it. But uh, talking from a hunter's, hunter's perspective, it's a deadly enough round, but it leaves virtually no blood uh, on a hog or a deer. I mean, the good news is, you know, you can – you can shoot a hog or a deer, watch him go down, load him in your truck, haul him home, and, you know, hang him on the skinning rack and not even have to wash the blood out of your uh, truck unless it's coming out of his nose, you know, up back up through the esophagus because typically there's virtually no blood. Now, on small, thin skin stuff like coyotes, you know, and stuff like that, yeah, it'll blow a chunk out of them. You know, I'm not knocking around, but uh, and especially in the sharp barrels, which I'm a fan of, you know, once you get down, you know, into the 10 and a half inch, uh, the round just doesn't perform very well. So I, I probably am chasing rabbits and got you off on that. But, you know, once you build the five, five, six, all you got to do is build another upper with another barrel, you know, and pin it on there. You, you can even run on the same mags. Now just be careful. Don't get your ammo confused because, uh, you know, that could be catastrophic. So you're so the the if you got the five five six lower, you're just switching out a couple of components on the upper for the to get the seven point six two or to get the the three hundred blackout. You're using the exact same lower. That's what you're saying, right? That that's right. And on the three hundred, you're even you, you can use the same bolt. You know, the same bolt, the same bolt carrier seven point six two by thirty nine requires a different bolt you can use the same carrier but it'd be a pain in the rear end to pull the carter pin and all that the cam pin so you know you'd need a different bolt but the 300 blackout literally is just a barrel swap now you wouldn't want to pull the barrel you know and and typically the 300 blackout will will almost always be pistol link gas system because it truly was developed as an sbr pistol barrel link to burn the powder you will gain some velocity, especially in the low-end supersonics, like the 110, 120 grain. You'll gain like 150 foot per second from a 10-inch barrel to a 16-inch barrel. <laughs> you know, you know, you're typically looking somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on the ammo and the manufacturer, and, and to some degree the tuning of the gun, how much dwell time you got. You know, with the the buffer's holding her in there longer, you're going to get more power out the end of the barrel. So it'll, it can vary, but let's just say 300 blackout in a 10 or 9-inch barrel, you're getting about 2,100 foot per second. If you jump up to a 16-inch barrel, you're going to be getting up in the high 22s and 2,300 foot per second. So really and truly, it's not a huge difference where if you did that same thing with, say, a 10-inch 5.56 up to a 16-inch or a 20-inch 5.56, you know, you're going to be going from somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,300 foot per second on up to near 3,000. So it's a huge jump in velocity. And, and that round, especially if you're shooting at long range, needs that energy in order to cause that massive cavitation wound or what they call the temporary wound cavity, you know, which is a big part of its killing. You know, it needs to be going fast since it's really a 22. But, yeah, but the receiver is the same. And, hey, you can use the lower receiver of the regular AR-15 for 9mm, too. There's a, the name escapes me, but uh, I'll think of it, you know, in texture or whatever. But there's adapters. There's a couple of companies that make them where you can put Glock mags in there. 
And so you literally could run one lower receiver for every AR-15, AR-9, 45, or whatever, just by using an adapter block. And, uh, you know, especially if you wanted to SBR it, make it a sharp barrel gun where you could use a stock, you could just register one lower receiver. But that's kind of a thing of the past as great as the uh, pistol braces are today. So you've talked a little about some of the companies that you really like, but do you want to give us a little recap and talk about some of those companies that you choose when looking for parts and resources that you would want to recommend to somebody? Like I say, a lot of people will think I'm crazy, but I highly recommend Anderson lower <laughs> and upper receivers. Uh, I've just had good luck with them and and their their budget. You know, I mean, they're you know they're basically you know forty five dollars for an upper and forty five dollars for a lower. We're talking strip. My favorite four end uh, or rail, whatever you want to call it, is Stinger USA. Uh, they make a fantastic free float rail that, you know, just does a great job. It already has built-in QD points. You can get those in the uh, key mod or M-lock, you know, for adding other rails on it. And uh, it's very tiny, really ergonomic and nice, great finishes on them. And plus they're in Texas. So, you know, what you then uh, I love the uh, Fell Zero bolts with the nickel boron. And I, I have not tried any of the cheaper, I'd say cheaper budget ones. I just have not. Um, but, you know, when I, if I want to go to low-end Bear Creek, BSA, as some people call it, uh, I like their barrels and, and bolts for a budget build. And, and, you know, my favorite AR, like I say, is, is the Bear Creek bolt, 7.62 by 39, and a 7.5-inch Bear Creek barrel. And that, that's getting 1,950 foot per second with Tulip steel ammo out of a seven and a half inch barrel and it's very effective i i filled my tags this year with it so i like bear creek for budget my favorite barrels if i want to build something a little nicer and guys there's more expensive barrels out there are uh faxon barrels and uh ballistic advantage you know if i want to build something a little bit nicer or somebody's wanting a little higher end gun and you know they may want a midwest industries now you know, I'll build a lower for somebody, but I'm not a dealer. You know, if they want me to build a lower, they got to buy it. I'm not going to buy it and have it in my name because, you know, I can't transfer it. But, you know, that's my recommendation. You want a really good trigger. Well, there's a bunch of them. Uh, I'm, I'm probably uh, prejudiced because I'm a Texan. <clears throat> CMC triggers, the cartridge-style triggers, really takes the headache out of putting together a lower to begin with. And they've got them any way you want them from like three and a half pound single stage with a flat trigger, a bowed trigger, or two stage, you know, where there's some take up on up to like the standard, you know, five pound triggers and they're just crisp. And so, you know, those are some of my favorite components. I tend to like Magpul pistol grips. That's just what I've used to begin with. And, uh, and then as far as pistol braces, uh, you know, if it's stocks, I like Magpul. But for the pistol braces, my favorite that I've tried to date is the SBA-3, which, you know, uses a carbine extension. It's just, just like a carbine stock, really nice. So that's, that's some of my favorite stuff. And then for mags, uh, my favorite mags for AR-15 standard caliber, like 5.56, is uh, either the Magpul P-mags, which are cheap, and the Lancers. The Lancer magazines are fantastic, but like I say, they don't do 7.62 by 39, and that's really what I'm all about as a builder, and that's what everybody's about here in Texas because we're wanting a cheap brown 
that we can bust hogs with. And so uh, the C product max for that is, is the only way to fly, in my opinion. And I like the 20 rounders personally. So, you know, that's kind of a recap. Uh, oh, yeah, let's, let me say one other thing about gas blocks. You know, I told you I'm not a fan of the adjustable, but I don't really care what brand the gas block is because if it don't fit real tight, uh, which some of them don't, some of them are hard to slip on, some of them will just kind of fall on and rattle them around, you tighten them down. But with my method of putting the paint on there, it more or less fills all that in, so I don't, I don't even care. You know, just whatever I can get my hands on the cheapest, it does not matter to me whatsoever. Well, Dan, as, as I suspected, when we uh, when we were talking before recording, we could we could talk to you about this for hours upon end. So I'll <laughs> ask, uh, I'll ask my last question. I saved the most important question for last. Okay, according okay. to Uncle Dan, how many ARs does one man need? Well, I think Larry Potterfield said it best on his commercial: at least one more. You know, uh, uh, man, I, I I actually was going over these questions with my wife, and she was like, you know, you're bad about chasing rabbits. You know, y'all never get through all that. Yeah. But and I, when I said that about the AR, she kind of rolled her eyes, and she goes, it's just like a pair of shoes. You always, I always need another pair of shoes and purse. But but I would yeah. say. I would say it. It you know I I I I always think well I'm finally done, but it's so cheap, especially once you have a lower receiver to build another one. So I always find myself needing one more. And uh, uh, you know I, a guy needs one in a five five six, and then he either needs something in a hard hitting caliber like seven point six two by thirty nine or three hundred blackout. And then hey man, you got to have a nine millimeter, you know, so you can shoot steel up close. So. So at a minimum, you need three. And, uh, I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how many I've got. I could, you know, it's mostly dealing with about four lowers and probably ten uppers. So that's, you know, like I say, one more. Plenty. Very very well said. I think I'll agree with all of that. Uh, you, you've given us so much to chew on. And like I said, I'm going to have to go back and take notes for when I, when I start my build, whatever that ends up being. But before we conclude, I wanted to offer you the opportunity. Was there anything at all that, and it doesn't have to be related to anything we've covered, just is there something that you want to say or you wish we had asked that, that, that you want to address before we close? Yeah, I think there's one thing I want to say, and a lot of people, especially in this age of politi- politically correctness and social justice warriors and, you know, all these uh, – people that are, you know, vilified the the gun rather than looking at the person behind the trigger. You know, if if you have a wreck, you know, you don't blame the car, you blame the driver. You know, the AR-15 is just a tool like any other gun. You know, you pull the trigger, one bullet comes out the end. Now, that being said, I don't think we should be restricted. You know, ultimately owning an AR-15 gives you at least the ability to – to not have a fair fight because you don't want to be in a fair fight when it comes to to guns. So really it's a, it's not about deer hunting. It's not about hog hunting. It's about the ability to protect yourself and your loved ones from tyranny. And, uh, you know, my AR is never committed to crime, uh, but I'll use it if I have to, uh, to, you know, to, to defend what I see is right. And, and it, it, you know, it gives you a huge leg up. And I recommend 
that everybody that's that's free, and I don't want to go into that. Uh, you know, I, I believe that everybody, you know, has the right to self-defense. I don't care if they were once a felon or whatever, you know, once they paid their debt to the society. And nowadays, a lot of times they don't, but, you know, should have the right to self-defense, uh, the right to protect liberty. And it's just a tool for doing that. And also it's something that here, uh, our, our, our agriculture, cattle and, and, and crops are impacted so much by the hogs. It just gives us a tool to kind of equal the playing field. You know, they're not the scary, they're not machine guns, uh, and they're legal to own. And I think everybody that's able-bodied should own one because like it or not, you're part of the militia. If we were invaded by some other country, you know, or maybe by a corrupt wing of our own government, we're going to be defending our liberty uh, with an AR-15 the same way they were using the Kentucky rifles and the brown best muskets in uh, 1776. Yeah, I, I said earlier, I, you know, when I first checked your channel out, uh, I felt like uh, some of the content you're producing, you know, we're, we're kindred spirits, man, and I, 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 that's solidified now. I agree with everything you just said. Guys, if you if you all, if this topic interested you at all, you, you got to check out Shooting with Uncle Dan on YouTube. He, he The man obviously just demonstrated just a substantial knowledge on AR platforms and guns, and he's just got a fun channel. He's got m way more than just that. We only scratched the surface on like, you know, some of, like his Glock platform stuff. He's got a lot of videos on that where he's Frankenstein that stuff up and turned it and put stocks on it, and just super cool. So, Uncle Dan, you're the man. Uh, you, you've given us a lot of good stuff. We really appreciate you joining us tonight, sharing your wisdom with us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. If you have any questions when you get ready to uh, do a build, you know, you got my number. Feel free to reach out. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate you. I appreciate y'all having me. It's been a pleasure. It really has. All right. That does it for today. If you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a review in your favorite podcast player. Hope you tune back in next week. God bless.